Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, y'all. Brittany here to tell you a bit about today's sponsor of Undistracted. We are proud to partner with MailChimp, a company that cares deeply about fostering equity and inspiring positive change. MailChimp makes it a priority to meet customers both where they are emotionally as entrepreneurs, but also in more tangible ways with marketing tools and education. MailChimp's smart marketing platform can give you confidence in your marketing and help boost your business. Later on in the episode, you'll hear from a small business owner about what motivates them in their work. In the meantime, you can learn more by visiting MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. That's MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. Hey y'all, it's Brittany. So there is a woman in Florida named Tiffany Justice. She has four school-aged children, and she's the founder of a group she calls Moms for Liberty. She has used that network of around 80,000 parents to push for a new law that the Human Rights Campaign says is discriminatory and dangerous, that seeks to silence teachers from talking about LGBTQ plus issues or people, further stigmatizing and isolating LGBTQ plus kids. The legislation is HB 1557, the so-called Parental Rights and Education Bill, and it was signed into law last week. You probably know it as the Don't Say Gay Bill, and Tiffany Justice says the law will, and I quote, fight transgender contagion in America. Now, it would be easy for me to get snarky about Tiffany Justice because the only contagion I see sweeping the nation is unabashed, unashamed bigotry and hate parading as policy. Because from Florida to Texas to school libraries across the country, this bullshit is catching. The rights, it seems, only belong to the white, conservative Christian parents and never the parents of color, the queer parents, the trans parents, or the parents who very simply give a damn to raise better children. But... Then I think of her four school-aged children, and I can't be snarky. I think of all the children of those 80,000 parents committed to dragging us back into the dark ages, one school board meeting at a time, and I can't be snarky about that because I'm afraid for them. I'm afraid for those among the 80,000 families who are queer or trans themselves, potentially unsafe and unable to live their true lives. And I'm afraid for all our children, learning the language of hatred who will grow up prepared only to dominate and never to love. The children, who didn't ask to be here by the way, and are very simply trying to find their way, they are the ones 
paying a very dear price for our sins. But I won't ask what we are becoming because in far too many places, we're seeing an emboldened version of who we've always been. But it's not who we have to be because we are undistracted. On the show today, I'll be talking to Willow and Owen Edgerton, a daughter-father pair that live in Austin, Texas. Specifically with trans and non-binary kids, trust me when I say your child will be a million times happier if you support them. If you respect them as a person and help them out sometimes, they will be so much happier as themselves than as a lie. That's coming up, but first, it's the news. Listen, a law that would make performing an abortion a felony passed the Oklahoma legislature Tuesday and is headed to the desk of a governor who will undoubtedly sign it. Under the law, abortion providers could be sentenced up to 10 years in prison and face a fine of up to $100,000. This law does not just affect Oklahomans. According to data collected by the University of Texas at Austin, 45% of patients who can't access abortion care in Texas because of its new strict laws travel up to 10 hours to receive care in Oklahoma, and now they won't be able to. Now, there is a backstop. The law will likely be blocked by the courts because for now, thanks to Roe versus Wade, abortion is legal in the U.S. But I want you to listen very closely. Roe is not permanent. We're waiting on that ruling from the Supreme Court on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. That case is very likely to overturn Roe. That means without Congress coming to the aid of pregnant people everywhere and protecting the right to control our own bodies, all the laws that state legislatures have passed to outlaw abortion, constrain when you can access it, to punish doctors and pregnant people, to allow random people to sue an Uber driver for taking you to a clinic, all that shit becomes real. And the worst part is, we're kind of playing a waiting game. Like we're just twiddling our thumbs trying to find out if the conservative majority on the Supreme Court is really going to overturn nearly 50 years of precedent. The vote on the Oklahoma bill was thrown onto the agenda of the legislature on Monday night and voted on with nearly no debate. Like I said, practically a surprise. This is why we have to stay on state legislatures. They are down there in their capitals scheming to ban a procedure that nearly two-thirds of Americans believe should be legal. Without Roe, the right to choose your destiny comes down to where you live, and that simply is not what freedom is. Let's move on to some good news. First of all, I know you saw that huge victory out of Staten Island, right? A a group of workers has created the first ever union at an Amazon warehouse. Y'all, this is huge. They're calling it the biggest labor victory in a generation. It's absolutely epic and it has to be celebrated. And I want to shout out another victory that happened this week that didn't quite trend as hard, but it meant a lot to me. In Sacramento, California, the teachers union has reached a deal with the school district to return to classrooms. Now, they had been on strike for 12 days, protesting the fact that their healthcare benefits were being reduced and that they continue to be overworked in light of the ongoing pandemic shortage. 
One of those striking teachers is the cousin I was just connected with after finding your roots, Morgan Coble Garrett. And she made the case quite clear. I'm a single mom of three, and when my pay is getting docked, it's very hard to be present. That's what I'm talking about, cuz. Tell them the truth. Thanks to the thoughtful organizing of you and your fellow teachers, they won. Sacramento teachers secured an ongoing salary increase of 4% and the reinstatement of a policy which pays for 100% of health coverage, as it should be. The Sacramento strike was one of several that have happened in the past weeks. Teachers in California, Minnesota, and Illinois have also hit the picket line to demand better from their district. And I get it. Teachers are going through it. Folks want to act like teachers should never strike. But in addition to the threat of illness from COVID-19, teachers have spent the last two years stretching themselves to make up for the fact that many of their colleagues have had to leave work. And that's on top of the reality that teaching, you know, because it's historically, how do we like to put it, women's work, has been underpaid and under-resourced. Since the turn of the century, teacher salaries have been on the decline in much of the country. As a former member of the Washington Teachers Union myself, I love to see teachers standing up for the profession that everyone needs and everyone should value. So it's a good week for workers. That's us. Let's keep it going. From one building block of a thriving middle class to another, home ownership. Now, while redlining, which is the practice of denying mortgages to people who live in certain, usually black neighborhoods, may have officially ended in 1968, its effects are still plaguing us today. New research out of the University of Washington and UC Berkeley shows that areas that were redlined in the 1930s had higher levels of pollution in 2010, 80 years later. The study shows that residents who live in neighborhoods where banks refused to lend to buyers in Seattle, Tacoma, and Spokane, Washington, still to this day are exposed to a higher level of air pollutants. That's because their neighborhoods are closer to the sources of pollution like highways and industrial facilities, and historically, residents have had a harder time fending off those industrial polluters. This research is both astounding and not at all surprising. Because here's the thing, we've been new. Black Americans are 40% more likely to have asthma than white Americans. And the predominantly black residents of Louisiana's so-called Cancer Alley are 50 times more likely to develop cancer than the average American. And those polluters? Look, our systems of oppression are deeply interconnected. Follow me on this. The presence of a polluter, like a chemical plant, means that banks divest. The pollution drives up the rates of illnesses and the cost of medical bills, while low homeownership rates make it hard to bring in enough property tax revenue to tackle any of those issues. In countless Black and brown communities across the country, industrial facilities have closed up shop, but they have refused to clean up their mess. That was 80 years ago, but people made those decisions about whose life has value and whose doesn't. And 80 years later, those folks are still being written off. So I ask you, who are we writing off now? Who have we forgotten? Whose pain have we decided is just the price of doing business? Who do we need to be organizing with and doing mutual aid beside in order to divest from those interconnected systems of harm? That's what the story made me wonder. That's the work we gotta do. Coming up, my conversation with Willow Edgerton, a young activist for trans rights in Texas, right after this short break. Thank you. 
now you'll hear from a featured entrepreneur in the Undistracted Spotlight brought to you by our sponsor, MailChimp. Hi there, my name is Nicole Gibbons and I'm the founder and CEO of Claire, a direct-to-consumer paint brand on a mission to make the process of buying paint for your home easy and inspiring. As an interior designer, I realized that for the average person, the current paint shopping process was a time-consuming and overwhelming hassle and that there was no company out there bringing a more inspiring approach to paint shopping. I wanted to change that. After working on my vision for a year and a half, Claire was born in 2018. There's something truly rewarding about building a brand that solves a real need for customers the way that Claire does. I think there's always been an entrepreneurial drive in me. As a kid, I used to make friendship bracelets and pins from craft plastics and sell them to my grandmother and her church friends. And now at Claire, I'm making it easier for people to create a home they love, providing customers with everything they need to truly feel confident in their color choices and delivering everything they need to paint directly to their door. Learn more at Claire.com. That's C-L-A-R-E dot com. Thanks, Nicole. Our sponsor, MailChimp, offers an all-in-one marketing platform built with growing businesses in mind. Visit MailChimp.com slash smart marketing to learn more on how to fuel your business, even if you're just starting out. And we are back. So for now, the kids are safe. A judge in Texas has blocked an order from Governor Greg Abbott to take effect. Had that not happened, the directive would have required mandatory reporters like family doctors, teachers, and school nurses to report when children are receiving gender-affirming medical care. And that's because the governor of Texas and the state attorney general think that that care is child abuse, based on a memo written by the AG back in February. Let's be very clear. It is not. Let me tell you what gender-affirming care is, though. It's so that a child has more time to understand their gender. It might be laser hair removal. It might be speech therapy. It might be therapy therapy. But no matter what it looks like, it is care and not abuse. And it is most certainly private. It is not the purview of state politicians looking to score political points by demonizing children. Children like Willow Luna Edgerton. I spoke with her and her father, Owen. They live in Austin, Texas. And watch out, Greg Abbott, because you are not about to score a single point off of Willow. Willow, Owen, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with us here at Undistracted. I'm so excited to talk to you both. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to talk to you, too. I really want to get a sense first of who you are. Do you mind introducing yourselves? Willow, we'll come to you first. Yeah, so uh, my name is Willow Luna Edgerton. I appreciate compliments about it because I picked it myself. (laughs) It is beautiful. I am a 13-year-old trans girl that lives in uh, Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to speak up for my rights. (laughs) Well, we'll get the chance to do lots of that, and we always appreciate folks that do it. Owen, how about you? I'm Owen Edgerton. I... Didn't pick my name, but I like it too, and I accept compliments. <laughs> and I'm the very proud parent of Willow and uh, and another daughter who's 16, and uh, my wife and I, Jody. And we live here in Austin, Texas, and I'm a novelist and a filmmaker. Well, it is more than a pleasure to meet the both of you, both of you with fantastic names. I didn't pick my name either, but I feel like I've grown into it. Yeah. We are so grateful to you all for joining us all the way from Austin, Texas. Um, there is plenty for us to get into, but I really want our community to get to know you all. I'd love to know a little bit more about you all's family. Are there are there particular traditions that you all have that are different from other families? I know for for my family growing up uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, in the summertime, 
no matter what was happening in the world, every Monday our family got together, our extended family got together for catfish and spaghetti. Oh. Like, I don't know, just because it was Monday. <laughs> Are there any traditions that are are unique to you all? Yeah, I think we we got a goofy little family. You know, we're, we've got this uh, little house in South Austin and uh, we make a lot of movies, as Willow was saying. And uh, so we've got like a lot of like props left over from horror movies that like are around our house, which is kind of strange. <laughs> and we have little names. I'm like, oh, there's the murder table. And, you know, <laughs> there's the monster in the corner. One specific tradition that is uh, somewhat similar to what you're talking about is Every New Year's, we take a loaf of bread, uh, still in the packaging, and throw it around, like, really hard till it's, like, just, like, <laughs> mashed up bread bits. And then the next morning, we make French toast out of it. Oh, nice. That's what we do the stroke of midnight, yeah. I might have to steal that, because mostly just because I love French toast. So <laughs> <laughs> if we borrow that tradition in our household, please know that I will give you all credit. <laughs> But it is very challenging to make French toast out of mashed up bread bits. It's not always exactly French toast. <laughs> but it's probably always delicious. Yes, yes. I'm also just curious about your family's priorities, right? I can tell creativity abounds. I can tell clearly like a lot of fun and laughter um, is always at the forefront. What are kind of the most important rules in your family? I know that <laughs> at least once a month, my parents made me do my brother and myself do book reports at dinner, which was like, oh, well, we got to pick the book, right? But it was like an oral report, right? So I would read um, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass and I'd have to talk about that kind of stuff. Are there rules or priorities that really you feel like characterize your family? We don't actually have that much stuff. Uh, I would say my uh, parents kind of raised us more like as a bunch of friends mm. and less like we're above you and or your like rulers mm -hmm. and um i mean if i ever have kids that's definitely how i'd raise them too probably yeah so that what well, that's not really a huge thing i don't know no drugs <laughs> well yeah that's important <laughs> anything else owen that you feel like when you really are thinking about you know the kind of children you want to raise the kind of family you want to have what are those those priorities that you all have set yeah, Jody and I, we, we talked a lot about like what kind of parenting, what kind of family that we wanted to raise. And we, we learned a bunch from both mm -hmm. our sets of parents, which we're really, really grateful for. And I think the two things that kind of led our parenting have been, number one would be kindness. I mean, I think if there's ever like a mm -hmm. rule in our house, it's be kind. And then the other one is is play. Uh, you know, Jody and I, we met doing improv together. We were in the same improv troupe. Back in the day. Oh my God, I love that. And so we think it's really important to, you know, do something silly. If it's raining, let's all run outside and jump around or, you know, let's enjoy what we're doing and take play really seriously. And that leads in, into our, our careers and our relationships and definitely our household of how how we spend a day. Mm. Oh, and I'm, I'm so curious if at all you had conversations about gender with your children. How did you talk about it when they were growing up? Were... Were you trying to nurture any particular values in them? Jody and I have always had the idea of the value that we've nurtured is finding who you are and growing into that. We were, I think, really lucky also to have some great examples of some parents who were just a little ahead of us who had kids who identified as gender fluid or non-binary. And we're already sort of dealing and thinking with these, some of these issues. And then mm. we had the great advantage of having 
Willow, who really early on, starting around, I don't know, younger than second grade, was like, mm, I'm not into this boy or girl or someone's going to tell me the day I'm born, you know, what my gender is. was just not into that. Mm-hmm. And that led the way for us. Like, oh, okay, let's let's be open and 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 learn and talk about all those things. And that's been true actually for Willow and her friends. I, it's it's just a cool generation of kids. It is. The the kids are absolutely all right. <laughs> yeah. Willow, your dad's talking about, you know, learning this word when you're around age 7 or 8, this concept of gender fluidity. Tell us more about what was interesting to you about this and and tell us more just kind of about how you processed it as you learned about this word, this concept. Right. So pretty much uh, before then even, right. I had always been like, "Mm, I want to be a girl. No, I want to be a boy. I I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I heard this word gender fluid and it described me really well because I was like, Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite either. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started using that for a while and I've always been pretty accepting of myself, mm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Because, like, from a young age, I was taught, like, this is super normal. Yeah. So, definitely other people had a hard time adjusting. Mm. But I think learning about, like, the trans community and stuff really helped me be a lot happier. Because, mm. like, for a while, I went by non-binary, right? Exclusive they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, mm, I want to be a girl, too. And then, like, the trans community, specifically some of my trans friends, told me about a term called demigirl. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, kind of non-binary, kind of girl. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so much better. And then I became so much happier afterwards. Mm. So, really, this whole thing has just made me a lot happier. Yeah, you know, of course, here in Texas, we've been having all this... uh gosh, I don't know, from the governor down, uh, harassment, I would say, mm-hmm. of families of, of trans kids and trying to define gender-affirming care in one way or another as child abuse. And when some of this stuff was just breaking in the news, I got a text from a good friend of mine who lives out of state, lives in California, and this friend was saying, oh, I'm so sorry for Willow. Oh, my goodness, what a horrible time, you know, to 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 be alive in this situation. And and I remember at the moment I was dropping Willow off at school and she's wearing her trans pride knee-high socks and is waving at friends. <laughs> I think more of them right now too. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it was this reminder that there's such a, a community of support from our family to our extended family to our school to our friends. And I've just seen that be like, really wonderful. So when Willow came out as trans, uh, which was about a year ago, we saw like, oh my gosh, the great experience of watching your kid become more of who they are. Mm. And it was, it was great. You know, it was like, it's like when you watch a flower bloom, you know, or you watch the sunrise, you're like, oh yeah, this is becoming more and more who they are meant to be. And that's just been like a really wonderful experience to see. Willow, what was that conversation like with your parents as you are becoming more of yourself? Really, the first conversation was, you know, my mom came up to me and was like, hey, I have this friend who has this kid who identifies as gender fluid, right? I think this might be similar to what you're experiencing. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's totally it, right? And then I decided to use she, they pronouns. And I just, they were like, oh, that's cool. When I 
decided to change my name when I was researching a bunch of names. They were also there, you know, helping me find more names and <laughs> uh, using the names I wanted. What led you to Willow? Willow Luna. Yeah, pretty much. The reason I got Willow is I had like a huge Google Doc of names, right? Because <laughs> like, if I'm going to pick a name, that's probably gonna be my name for like the rest of my life. It's got to be good, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I was down to like five names or so. And I tried out Alice. And I realized it just didn't fit me. Mm-hmm. So then I tried out Willow and Moxie. Mm-hmm. And Willow just stuck the most. <laughs> It's such a having a Google Doc of all of your name choices is like the most <laughs> generational thing I've ever heard. That's like it's so perfect. It just perfectly encapsulates That's a good how intentional you all are about everything. And I love it. Willow, were, were the conversations that you had with your with your parents and with your family, were they different than the ones you had with your friends or with your teachers even? Probably a little bit. I'll be completely honest with you. Talking about being trans with cis people versus trans people. Super different. Mm -hmm. Like, if you were talking about deciding to go on, like, HRT or hormone blockers, right? A lot of times, is my own personal experience, and a lot of people I talk to about this experience, too. But a lot of times, if you talk about that with, like, a cis person, they're like, oh, well, here's all the downsides. Mm. You're super brave for this. Mm. But also, here's the bad things. But also, you know, like, congratulations. And then with... Like, other trans people, it's just like, woohoo, yeah, you did it. You know, like, it's easier to talk about these subjects with people who understand them personally. You know, Owen, listening to to Willow talk about this, I'm curious about your parenting in this moment, right? You've already talked about the many ways in which Texas, among many other states, unfortunately, are perpetually politicizing and criminalizing people's identities, Mm. What did you think parenting was going to be like when Willow (laughs) first started affirming her gender versus what it's actually been like? Oh, what a great question. So Willow started pretty early on, basically declaring, I'm I'm not going to give into this binary system. And it was an interesting, like for for me, I was like, oh, that's that's different. My wife was a little bit ahead of me and knew a lot more. And and, uh, and I was like, I'm going to be learning. I tell you this, though. I knew, of course, from day one with Willow and with our older daughter as well, that I was going to be proud. Mm. And I've been proud so many times. One of the wonderful surprise things that I don't know if I would have foreseen of like how proud I am of Willow being an outspoken trans person, of how proud I am of her being who she is, embracing who she is, and not letting bullies even if that bully happens to sit in the capital of the state, in any way impede on that journey. That makes me so proud. Yeah. Willow, what does it feel like hearing that? You probably hear it all the time. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's really nice to know I have so much support, you know? It's really nice how my family has never, like, tried to assume things about me, really, you know? Mm-hmm. And how open they are to change and how ready they are to hear me out. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, oh, I suddenly want to use different pronouns, they're ready for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if they're not ready for it, they're ready to change and learn how to be. Mm. That flexibility seems like a critically important part. What do you want other parents of, I won't even just say other parents of trans or non binary kids to know, just what do you want other parents to know, period? Well, 
specifically with trans and non-binary kids, I would say, trust me when I say your child will be a million times happier Mm. if you support them. Mm. If you respect them as a person and help them out sometimes, they will be so much happier as themselves than as a lie. Mm. 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 You know, I asked it that way in part because your parents didn't necessarily know that this was going to be their parenting experience until you started having those conversations, right? And so, you know, my husband and I are talking about having kids and we're thinking about the kind of parents that we want to be and like all of the things that one could anticipate, all of the things that we don't know that we don't know, right? And and what about folks who, who parents who may walk into um, an experience down the road where one or more of their children comes and has the kind of conversations that you had with their parents? What, what are you hoping that those parents would have been thinking about and talking about? I would say if you haven't already, by the time you're like thinking about having kids with your partner, probably make sure that in those situations, you similar ideas. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Like if one person is really against trans people and the other one loves them, maybe talk that out before having kids. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, it might come up. <laughs> At this moment in time, if you're like talking about having kids and talking about your types of parents you want to be, my biggest thing is be ready to be flexible. Yeah. And be ready to be supportive because a lot of trans people, we don't instantly know that we're trans. Mm -hmm. It's so much more complex than that. Say your kid like me has gone through one or two different sets of pronouns that I like to use. Mm -hmm. Just be flexible. I think what Willa said, like pretty wise words there (laughs) about Mm -hmm. talking it out and being flexible. I think, you know, one of the big things too, and this is, I suppose, in any relationship, but just like the importance of listening. Kids can really sense when you're not really listening. Hmm. I guess anybody can. And there's few things that can be as dampening on a situation as when you are aware that the person you're trying to tell something to is not really listening to you. Hmm. And this happens to kids so often. It happens to children all the time where they're saying, like, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. And so many times we as parents will be like, oh, that's a phase. Or no, you're not really feeling that. And I know I've been guilty of that. And so I think the big thing that I've learned, you know, over these last few years is like, go ahead and listen. Go ahead and listen and talk. And good things come from that. Oh, and are there things you think parents worry about that they don't need to be worrying about? In this journey earlier on, and even like a year or so back, it's like, okay, she's going to come out as trans. And I was so worried that society was going to be like the society that I grew up in in East Texas, that there was going to be like, oh my gosh, this is going to lead to all these horrible things. But what I have seen is how many people in in our culture are just there for her in, in a way that I just don't feel was possible when I was growing up. And that includes like friends and school and stuff like that, but also like our immediate family. I mean, watching my mom come across the room and give Willow this big hug and say how much she loved her when, when we announced the news to the grandparents was just amazing. So I think, and I think Willow said it as well, if your kids are talking about being non-binary, being trans and wanting to say that to the world, there's of course 
scary things like government orders and, and some of the legislation mm-hmm. that's being passed in different states in the country. There is so much more to be excited about than there is to be afraid of. Mm. There is so much more to celebrate than there is to hide from. And there's just so much more benefit and happiness than there is to be afraid of and cowering from. So I think that's the big thing of like, celebrate with your kid. (laughs) Yeah. Willow, I want to talk a little bit about some of your work because, excuse me for the phrasing, Owen, but like, It's really dope shit. You started the GSA at your school, which is absolutely incredible. I know from personal experience that organizing work is not easy work. It is often thankless. It takes many, many hours. (laughs) It's difficult to learn. And I started when I was about your age. So tell folks in our audience who don't know what GSA stands for and why you started this particular club. Yeah, so the club's official name is the uh, GSA Advocates for the Youth, or for short, gay, but GSA specifically stands for Gender Sexuality Alliance. Yep. So it's the club for LGBTQ2IA plus people to go, right? And be in a supportive environment. Mm-hmm. What we do mostly is we're trying to make our school campus a much more friendly place mm-hmm. for queer students. So for example, we've, we're trying to get uh, dead names off our school's website. Mm-hmm. We held a little Valentine's Day event. Officially, it was called Love is Love Day. They made me call it that. I wanted to call it Gay Day. (laughs) Well, we yeah, I mean, we say gay, right? Yeah. But then like day of, they were like, Willow, I don't think we can do that. And I was like, you know what? You're right. (laughs) So it's called Love is Love Day. Okay. All right. Next year. We'll try it next year. Next year. Next year. (laughs) Maybe high school. (laughs) There you go. I know that everyone doesn't know what dead names are. Right. So... There's many different names for a dead name. Mm -hmm. Pretty much it's when a trans person changes their name, it's their name assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. Some people call them dead names. That's probably the most common one I've heard. A lot of people will call them like their legal names or their old names. Mm -hmm. All that stuff. No one needs to know it. No one needs to know your dead name. Mm -hmm. Different trans people have kind of different levels of how much they don't like their dead name, if you will. Mm. For me... I call it my dead name because I'm like, mm, one and gone. No, nothing to do with it. But other people are like, yeah, it's just my legal name. So it's like, it's a very strange thing, uh, emotions wise, because sure. it's like something that used to be so connected to you. Mm. Now you want to be as far away from it as possible. Mm. And so what is the issue specifically that you're trying to resolve with dead naming and your school's website? Right. So what would happen is on the school website, which is where everything is, right? What they would do is they would put the legal name first or the dead name, right? And then in parentheses, your real name, Hmm. which is an issue for a couple reasons. First one being, of course, people know your dead name now, which is never fun. Mm -hmm. And another reason is like a substitute teacher, right? You're reading off attendance. Are you going to look at the name in parentheses or the name that's first? You're going to look at the name that's first, obviously. So students kept getting dead names, specifically during Zoom school. That would happen constantly. Mm. And third, because of the whole Abbott letter, you know, report trans kids thing, we were worried that if we put a thing that says, hey, this person's trans, look, look, it's a trans person, Mm. right? They could get reported by like maybe a sub that they didn't thoroughly check enough or student. Right. That's the main reasons why. Okay, so we've been talking around this thing. 
this Abbott thing. <laughs> Let's get all the way into it. State legislatures across the country, and of course in Texas specifically, have been targeting trans kids and their families for a while now. Yeah. But it's really ramped up in 2022, right? This is not new, but there is some added energy around this particular kind of hate. Yeah. Willow, and then Owen, I definitely want to hear from you as well. How has this affected your family? So it's definitely been pretty scary having all this stuff happen and having people in power want me gone. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not very fun. Yeah. Owen, how about for you? It's been about a month since Ken Paxton gave the non-binding legal opinion that, that led to Abbott's order to investigate any family it, it, that might be doing any kind of gender-affirming care uh, for child abuse. Uh, and it has been stressful. So that part has been sometimes infuriating. Sometimes it makes us want to just like protest and yell. And sometimes, quite frankly, we do want to hide. When we're invited on like your podcast, we're excited to talk about our stories. And then maybe the next minute, we're also like, gosh, maybe we shouldn't. Because what could happen? It sows fear and nothing good grows from sowing fear in that kind of way. So that's been hard. The other side of it, though, has been we've also had a wave of support from friends all over the world who have been hearing about this situation and reaching out to us from every different part of our lives to say, we love you. We support you. We've got your back. One of the responses I've tried to wrestle away from even some well-intentioned people <laughs> is the reaction. They're like, well, if you don't like it, don't live in Texas. Like, you know, I think that sometimes people think that they're coming up with some solution there, but Owen, what's your response to that? Why is Texas important to you? So I moved to Texas from England with my family when I was a little kid. And I've been very grateful to grow up in Texas. Very proud Texan. Uh, I love Austin. Austin's just been a, a, such a great home to me in so many ways. And at the same time, when people say that, I'm like, you know, you, you might be right. Maybe, like, maybe there is going to be a time mm. to get out of this state. And I know Willow and I, <laughs> we've talked about it. What a sad thing for a state when you're going to be, I mean, you're going to be losing Willow? Come on, state. Seriously. Trust me, you want this kid. You, <laughs> yeah. I, I, we talk about when, uh, you know, a big corporation leaves a state in protest. But sometimes you forget, like, what about all the, the people? that you're going to be losing in those situations. That said, right now, we are here. And even if we end up in the future, some whatever, somewhere else, we do want to stand up and fight. Not just for the right for Willow to be Willow, yeah. but also for the right of some kid who, again, is too afraid to tell their parents who they really are. Yeah. Some kid who is hearing the message that the governor is passing down that, as Willow said, like, you're illegal. And you're not wanted here. And what you are is something wrong. And if your parents are supporting that, then that is a form of abuse. Mm. That, I, that's a hard message for those kids to hear again and again and again. They need, they need the voices of people hugging them, cheering them on. I mean, wherever we are in the world, we are going to be louder in our love than the screaming hate, even if it's coming from as loud a megaphone as the governor's mm. mansion. Mm. Mm. I'm also just thinking about those families that can't afford to pick up and leave Texas, right? That that is actually a, a, a choice that they very simply can't make. Yep. Yeah. So true. When we hear about legislation, about 
trans young people, it's most often coming from people who are not trans <laughs> and who aren't even in school, <laughs> who don't play or haven't played or don't even care about or support the sports that they seem to have so much commentary on. <laughs> I'd love to hear, Willow, what you have to say to those lawmakers. So if if Attorney General Ken Paxton or Governor Greg Abbott was sitting right next to me right now, I, after I elbowed them in the side, <laughs> what would you want to say to them? I'd probably say you are a child. Mm. Abbott did something wrong. He messed up the power grid. And instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry, let's fix everything. He said, ah, 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 children, I'm so scared. I'm scared of those children over there. Mm. That minority of children that can't really defend themselves because they don't have a voice in society. Everyone, go attack them. And that is childish, immature, and stupid. Mm. And no one who thinks like that should be the leader of a massive state of a, in a massive country. Just, they're blaming a bunch of children so that they can look better to other children that also hate us for God knows why. I guess they would say God knows why, but... Uh, <laughs> or with the trans sport ban, right? It's just like, do you care? Yeah. Trans athletes have been allowed to compete in the Olympics for like years now. But people will only care when it's a distraction from them being assholes. <laughs> So maybe just stop being assholes. <laughs> I mean, this is deeply astute political commentary. I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being very serious because your clear understanding that your humanity is being used both as a wedge issue and as a distraction from him not taking responsibility for all of his constituents or for things like the power grid and that winter freeze out that we saw devastate so many parts of Texas. I mean, it is just a deeply astute assessment of what's happening Owen, what would you have to say to them right now? You know, honestly, if you had Ken Paxton and Greg Abbott there with you, I don't think I would have anything to say to them. Mm. I believe that the people I want to talk to are not them. Hmm. I think they've have chosen not to hear. And so instead, the people I would want to talk to are the people who feel that maybe they don't have a stake in this particular argument, that maybe they can be afraid of trans people because they don't necessarily think they know anybody mm -hmm. who's trans and this is not an issue for them and they can believe that this is something scary. Or maybe they're like, gosh, yes, that's a situation of uh, civil rights, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not my family. Mm -hmm. I think those are the people I want to talk to. I mean, for lack of a better word in this situation, I guess I would say moderates. Yeah. Uh, like, I'd be like, by the way, I know this might not be your family, or maybe you don't know that it's your family or your neighbor, but it is. It is. This is civil rights. You know, uh, Willow's grandparents, my wife's parents, talk about marching for civil rights back in the 1960s and into the 1970s, and they are amazed. Like, we are still doing this. We are still having to stand up mm. for each other. And that's who I think need to hear the message. For me, I'm like, I don't know. Greg Abbott and Kim Paxton might be lost causes. Mm. The people that I'm hoping will stand up and speak and act out are the rest of us. <laughs> well, to be very clear, Kim Paxton and Greg Abbott are not allowed in my house. But <laughs> before I let you go, this last question is a little cheesy, but I am also a little cheesy. So it just, it's on brand. But I, I, I really want to end on, on a hopeful note. And Willow, I want to ask you, 
where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Like, what is your dream future look like? Honestly, I want to keep getting my voice out there. I want to be in some position where people are able to hear me, whether that's a filmmaker or something else entirely. I don't quite know yet, but I want to be in a situation where I am able to continue to speak my mind and people will listen. Well, I don't think you're going to have any trouble speaking your mind. (laughs) And I know that I, for one, will absolutely be listening. I want to thank the both of you for having this conversation. I know it does not come without risk. And so from the very, very bottom of my heart, thank you for being willing. And please know that if there's absolutely anything I or the rest of our undistracted family can do to stand in solidarity, and I mean that very literally, with you, Willow, with your family, Owen, please do not hesitate to let us know. I have learned more about the kind of parent I want to be from listening to you, Owen, and Willow, I have learned more about the kind of absolutely fantastic young person I hope to raise one day. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great being here. Willow is an eighth grader, a filmmaker, and an organizer from Austin, Texas. Her dad, Owen, is a filmmaker and a novelist. Y'all, don't we want happy children? It's not a question I think we'd have to ask. Willow made it really clear. Your child will be a million times happier if you just support and respect them. Isn't that what everyone wants? Isn't that what everyone deserves? And despite the folks who are convinced that parenting is an exclusively top-down exercise, children actually do deserve our respect too. They are whole people with their own dreams and hopes, loves, and yes, identities. And our greatest hope should be that they find their way to themselves and feel free to exercise the agency it takes to live their fullest lives. How small, how sad, how absolutely vile a person do you have to be to need to stomp out of a child their very existence to make yourself feel powerful. Now, Willow might say you yourself are a child, which I'd agree with, except that's an insult to children everywhere, especially perceptive, compassionate kids like Willow. Owen and Willow's story of love, truth, acceptance, and support should not be rare. That should just be how family does. At the very least, it should be what our policies allow for so that our young trans folks can freely live the lives they dream and find the family they need without threat of harm or erasure. That's the kind of life we all deserve, trans kids included, because if they aren't free, then neither are we. That is it for today, but never for tomorrow. Undistracted is a production of The Meteor and Pineapple Street Studios. Our lead producer is Rachel Ward. Our associate producers are Alexis Moore and Mary Alexa Cavanaugh. 
Thanks also to Treasure Brooks, Hannes Brown, Davey Sumner, and Raj Makija. Our executive producers at The Meteor are Cindy Levy and myself, and our executive producers at Pineapple are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. You can follow me at Ms. Getty on all social media and our team at The Meteor. Subscribe to Undistracted and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or most places you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being, and thanks for doing. I'm Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Let's go get free.